you have your Bibles this evening, I ask if you would to turn them with me to the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 is where we will begin. Now, Jonah is not really the prime example for a missionary. Not some, not probably the missionary that you would uh, want to be supporting as a church. Probably not the missionary that you would invite to a conference um, if you knew him well enough. But uh, the Lord uh, sees fit here in the book of Jonah to call this man and have him take the message to the people of Nineveh. And, uh, many times the Lord uses uh, the weak and the, the, the ones that we would not choose at all. But the Lord receives glory out of the weakest of those, and so we praise the Lord for that. But I want us to look at the story of Jonah and uh, take something from the Word of God this evening that I pray will be a, a blessing and a help to us. Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4 says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. Dearly Father, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us tonight. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, be with uh, your church tonight and preach from your word, Lord, and to take part in the wonderful blessings that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your spirit, through your word, uh, challenge us, convict us, encourage us. And we pray, Lord, that you would receive all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we have the the story of Jonah coming into Nineveh and finally obeying the Lord and preaching the uh, coming judgment of God on this people of Nineveh. And we see a wonderful uh, turn in these people's lives. We see them repenting from their sin, confessing their sin, getting right. A wonderful revival happening by the power of God here and the power of uh, conviction of their sin here in the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh make an interesting statement in verse 9, when they say, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? That phrase they use there, who can tell, is another way of how we would maybe say it today is, Who knows? Who knows if God will turn and repent? Who knows what God will do? Who knows what might happen if we actually uh, listen to this message and we get right and we turn to this God and we repent and we, we, we turn from our sins? Who knows what God will do? Who knows what might happen? There's a phrase that I've heard in different areas of life, ministry, 
um, you know, and other, other aspects of life. And I, I believe it's very true. It's very simple, very basic, but it's this. You don't know what you don't know. Now, that, that's simple, that's basic, but it's very true. You don't know what you don't know. And you find, this, you find this out many times in different parts of life. And I would dare say, you know, you, 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 you uh, learn this maybe in a new job. You learn this in a new uh, area that you might have uh, moved to, a new location, a new part uh, in the country. Um, but I would dare say that maybe the greatest way that you can illustrate this is when one man and one woman come together in marriage and start a family. You don't know what you don't know. And you learn that very quickly. I, I, I grew up watching sports. I've always enjoyed sports. Any football fans here this evening? Anyone say, you know, I, I watch football. I like football. I, I've always grown up enjoying watching football. And that's from my dad. We just always grew up watching sports and playing sports and enjoyed it. And my wife, she did not grow up watching sports. She did not grow up uh, enjoying watching uh, different sports, and uh, especially football. She, she had a, a little bit of experience with baseball, but football was just not her thing. When we got married, she very, you know, trying to be a nice wife, trying to be uh, interested. She would sit next to me on the couch and watch the game with me. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, so, that's so nice of her. She doesn't need to do this. She's not really interested but she's doing it because she loves me. And she would ask me some questions and, you know, different questions of, you know, why, why did this guy go here? And what happens if the ball is dropped? And why is that a dead ball? And all these different questions. And I've, I've heard many of these questions before with people that are just starting to watch. But it got to a point where she asked a question. She, she looked at the quarterback get the ball and he goes back and he's getting ready to pass it. And there's the defense going after him, trying to tackle him. And she asked me, she said, do, do those guys, do they have to count to 10 Mississippi before they start to go after the quarterback? And I thought she was joking. And I looked at her and she was dead serious. And I, I, I realized in that moment, you don't know what you don't know. It wasn't her fault. There was nothing, nothing wrong. Just, she had no idea. She never grew up watching this. She has no idea. And this is, she's just, she's, she's innocently asking these questions. You know, this can be said in the area of spiritual things, in the area of godly things, of the Bible, of God himself. And I believe the people of Nineveh here uh, are very much so telling on themselves. And, and I mean that in a way to where it's not uh, necessarily uh, uh, something that they, they've done. or just. But you think about where they, where they are. They're in Nineveh, a pagan, heathen nation. And they're asking this question, who knows what God might do? Who knows what might happen if we get right? They are literally, they, they, they're showing that they don't understand and they don't know the basic character of God. We, we, you know, they don't know 1 John 1, 9. They don't know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They don't know Isaiah uh, uh, 55, 6 and 7, where God says, seek ye, or, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. 
They're, they're looking at this and they're hearing this message and their question is, uh, well, we're going to do this, we're going to get right, we're going to turn from our sin, we're going to repent, we're going to turn to this God, but who knows what this God might do? You know, you know why, why I believe they were asking that question? Nineveh was like many other places then and a lot of places in our world now where they may not know our God, but they're very religious. They have many gods and many pagan heathen gods are very angry gods, gods that cannot be appeased, gods that the people uh, come to in fear. Now, we are commanded in the Bible to fear our God, but this is a different kind of fear. This is a fear that, that, this, that their gods uh, can never truly be satisfied. Now, I'm thankful that our God can be satisfied by the blood of his son. We can ourselves never do anything ourselves to uh, satisfy our God, but He's, that's why he sent his son. But these pagan heathen gods, these people lived in fear. And so here they hear this judgment coming from this God. And they say, let's get right, but who knows? Who knows what might happen? You know, just like the people of Nineveh here in the story, in this true story in our Bibles, there are people even today who they don't know the basic characteristics of God. When my wife and I were in Thailand, we saw this firsthand. We saw people not only very religious and very much so into uh, false idolatry and uh, false uh, religion, but we saw people who literally did not know the name Jesus Christ. They did not know that there was only one true God. They're, they believe that there are many gods, many spirits, and they live in fear of these gods and trying constantly to do their own works to please these spirits and appease the evil spirits. My wife and I, when we visited Thailand, one of the missionaries in Bangkok was showing us around the country, around the capital, and he shared with my wife and I that just a couple of weeks before we had arrived, he was in a shoe market looking for a shoe and looking for shoes, and he noticed a shoe off to the side with a Bible reference from Proverbs written on the shoe. He said, I've never seen that shoe kind of shoe before. I have no idea who, who makes that shoe, but it got his attention. He thought, wow, this is awesome. This is amazing. Maybe the worker of the market, maybe they're a fellow believer and they're, you know, I can be an encouragement to them. Maybe they're looking for a church or maybe they're lost and, and more than likely they're lost and maybe they're searching and maybe this is a way for me to share the gospel with them. So he found the worker of the market and he brought her over and he pointed to the shoe and he said, do you know what that is on the shoe? And she said, no. And he said, that's a Bible reference. That's a verse from the Bible. And she looked at him and she said, what is a Bible? And he said, what I was hoping was going to be an open invitation to witness, and it still could be. But in that moment, at that time, it was just an introduction to truth. It was just an introduction to the one true God, to the true, to the true scriptures, to the one true way. There are people, not just in Thailand, but throughout our world, who have, they don't even understand and know the basic characteristics of our God not only that but there are people more so this 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 comes I believe more so to home for us there are people they may know the God of the Bible as far as intellectually they may have heard of the God of the Bible they may know uh, the name Jesus Christ they may know the, that there, there, there is a Bible. They understand uh, that there is a Bible. They may not know uh, and understand exactly what it is. They may see it more as a, a rule book or a, 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 a spiritual book for a certain religion, a certain following, but they don't see it for what it is. They know it somewhat intellectually, 
But even then, they failed to truly understand and know our God. They don't understand, they don't know the God of the Bible like we know him. They may know him intellectually, but they don't know him personally. They don't know him uh, uh, um, experientially. They don't know him in a way that he has worked in, in, in their lives and saved their soul. They don't know the God like we know him. And that, that, that gives us an opportunity to help them know and share with them. But how many times do we share with people the gospel? How many times do we share with people the name Jesus Christ and who he truly is? And he's not just a, a good guy. He wasn't just a, 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 a prophet. He was more than that. And we share with people the truths of the word of God. And how many times are we met with a false idea of the true thing? You see, what Satan has successfully done in many people's lives is they know what a Bible is. They know uh, the name Jesus Christ. They know the idea of, uh, you know, Christians believe in one God. But Satan, through uh, uh, education and, um, uh, and entertainment and different other ways, he has made it so that people have a false idea, a false concept of who the true God is. And yes, they may have a little bit more knowledge than somebody in an unreached area on the other side of the world, but personally, they don't know that God is any more than that person on the other side of the world. And if they found themselves in the same position as these people of Nineveh, they might ask the same thing. They've been told that, many of them have been told one extreme and the other about our God. They've been told that he is an angry, judgmental, hateful God that cannot forgive them for what they've done. They've also been told that he just, you know, he'll accept anybody and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to uh, accept just Jesus. You don't have to accept just what the Bible says. You know, you can just come to Jesus on your terms. You can just do whatever you want. And both of those are damning heresies. Both of those are lies from Satan himself. Because here we're going to see that while the people of Nineveh did not know God, they did not know uh, the, the basic characteristics of God, there was a man in the story who did, Jonah. Now, I said earlier he's not a prime example of a missionary or really even of a, of a Christian. But he did know these things. What did Jonah know? Well, Jonah knew that judgment from God was coming to the people of Nineveh. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says, now the word of the Lord came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Jonah knew that judgment was coming. He was told to go to Nineveh and preach this message and cry against it. That, that idea of cry against the city was not just for him to go and just start saying whatever he wanted to say and cry. No, God is being clear with Jonah, I want you to go and pronounce judgment on them, that, I am, that judgment from me is coming. Jonah understood this. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came into Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Verse 4 says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh, shall be overthrown. Jonah knew what the message was. He understood it. He knew it before the people of Nineveh did. He, in fact, had to be told this twice. Jonah knew this from the beginning, that judgment from God was coming on the people of Nineveh. Jonah also knew 
the love and the mercy and the grace of God towards repentant sinners. I, we, know he know, we know he knew this for two reasons. First of all, he, by his own words, shares that he knew this. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, And he, that being Jonah, prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah knew the basic characteristics of God. That yes, while he is a holy God and he must perfectly deal with sin, he must judge sin, when a sinner honestly, humbly, genuinely repents and turns from their sin, Jonah says, Thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. Jonah knew who God was. Not only did he know, do we know that he knew this because he personally said these words, but we see that sometimes actions speak louder than words. What happened to Jonah in chapter 2? He was stuck in a fish for three days and three nights. Now, I don't know if it took that long for Jonah to finally pray to God and confess his sin and get right with God, or if he was, if, if it didn't take that long and God just kind of let him stew and let him sit in that, those juices for a little bit, face the consequences. But at some point, Jonah, as he's sitting in that fish, realizes that he has ran away from the commandment of God. He has disobeyed. He has sinned. And what does he do? He prays to God. Why did Jonah turn to God after he had literally done the exact opposite that God had commanded to him to do? Well, he did so because he knew God was in, was in control, but he also knew that God would forgive. Jonah's not going to pray to God and ask God to deliver him from this fish if God is not a God of grace, mercy, slow to anger, and forgiveness. Jonah, we know he knew uh, who God was by his own words, but also by his actions. Now, chapter 4, verse 1 says that the uh, repentance and the people getting right displeased Jonah exceedingly. This is a little side note, but I believe it's important. Jonah was, was thankful and, and ready to uh, repent to God and get right and you know, was, was so thankful that the Lord delivered him from that fish, but yet when somebody else did it, it displeased him, it grieved him. Many times we need to be careful that we don't end up being like Jonah and being like King David. King David got caught with Bathsheba and Uriah. He thought he got away with it. Nathan the prophet comes to David and he shares with David this, this story of how this wealthy man many, had many herds, many flocks of sheep. He had a guest come to his home. And rather than take from his own sheep, rather than take from his own herd, he took from a neighbor who he had only one precious lamb. And that lamb he treated as his own child. And he took that lamb and he slew it and used that as a feast for the guest. And David, in his... Anger, he, he says, this, this is not right, this is unjust. That man must punish, that man must be punished, he must be dealt with. 
got very severe in his commands against this hypothetical wealthy man. And what does the prophet Nathan say? He said, thou art the man. David then, he, he humbles himself and he confesses and he repents of his sin and he gets right with the Lord. But just a couple of verses before that, he was ready to take care of this man that had taken a sheep from someone else. But now David is begging for the mercy of God. We need to be very careful that we are not so self-righteous that we plead for the mercy of God on our behalf, but when someone else that maybe we disagree with or their sin is different than ours, we look at it and say, I don't, I'm not really concerned. We know what Jonah knew. Jonah knew judgment was coming. We know that judgment is coming. We talk about the second coming of Christ and I'm so looking forward to the day where uh, whether, it, uh, whether I live to see it or not, but that the Lord raptures his church and that this, uh, this time is over and that we are in heaven uh, with, with our Savior. But do you realize we, we sing about that, we preach about that, we get excited about that, but do you realize as soon as that moment happens where Christ raptures his church, judgment begins. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Revelation 20, 11 through 15, the apostle John says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose faith the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, I hope you understand, and I hope you know that judgment one day will come. We must be busy telling people that they need to get right with the Lord. I, I don't want to see one person, I don't care who it is, go through what judgment is coming. I don't want to see one person burn in hell forever. I don't want to see that happen. And we should, not, we should be concerned over the sinners, over the lost that the Lord has placed in our lives that we might have a chance to share the gospel with. Because not only do we know that judgment is coming, as Jonah knew that, but we also know, what do we know? That God is a God of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. He's slow to anger. We know that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He is willing that all should repent. He is willing that all should be saved. He is not willing that any should perish. This is the God we serve. Now we know this, and Jonah knew this. But it's not enough to know this. I, I, I pray and hope that everyone in here knows the Lord. Intellectually, of course, but even more so personally, that you know Christ as your Savior. I hope you're saved. I hope you know that, uh, not only in your, in your mind, but also in your heart. But when dealing with people, when dealing with those around us, it's not enough that we know this. See, the Bible also says about knowledge that it puffeth up. We need to make sure that what, what, what are we doing with what we know? James 4.17 said, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good 
and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Jonah knew what the Lord wanted him to do. Not only did Jonah know that uh, judgment was coming, not only did Jonah know that God uh, would save and and repent of, of the judgment that was coming if these people repented, not only did Jonah know all that, but Jonah also knew what his personal responsibility was. It was to preach. It was to warn. It was to help. But I also believe it was to love. God, as we go through, and we're not for time's sake, we won't look at it all, but we can obviously tell the Lord is not pleased with Jonah's attitude in chapter 4. God asked him, doest thou well to be angry? The Lord is asking him, can't you see what is happening here? Can't you see that these people have gotten right? Can't you see that these people are going to bring me glory through turning from their sins to, to the true God? We need to make sure that we're doing what we know we should do with what we know. Look, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 12, and we'll be finished. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 35 is where we'll begin. We'll just read a few verses, but I believe that this passage here is We read the words of Christ. I believe it sums up exactly what we've spoken about this evening of doing with what we should with what we know. We've been blessed to know what we know, to know the true God. But what are we doing with that knowledge? What are we doing with that? Luke chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. In other words, get ready, be prepared, get to work. Verse 36, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants in the Lord when he cometh shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have washed and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. Christ here is talking about the faithful steward, the faithful worker. The one who has been left uh, as a steward, as someone with responsibilities by his master. While his master, his Lord, has gone away and his, his Lord is coming back someday. The servant does not know when his Lord will come back, but he knows that he needs to get busy. He needs to be at work. Friends, are we being that faithful steward? Are we being that faithful servant? Are we serving God, waiting for him to come back, but not just twiddling our thumbs and sitting around and waiting for the Lord to come back, but that we're busy doing the work that he has given us? Verse 45, Jesus says, But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming. And he goes on and describes this servant and I believe that this is speaking of a lost person. 
But I also understand that as Christians, we can have that same attitude. We can say, oh, I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. I've got other plans. I've got other ambitions. This is what I'm busy with. This is what I'm doing. And all the while, all around us, people are dying and going to hell. And God has given us responsibilities. We know that judgment is coming. We know who our God is, that he is ready to forgive. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, that's one of my motivations. I know the terror of the Lord. I know that there is a hell. I know that there will be a day when many are sent to that place where they will forever be separated from God, where they will burn in eternity forever. I know the terror that God has for those. I also know the terror of standing one day before my God and having to answer for what I did with my time on earth, how I stewarded the things that God gave me, how faithful of a servant I was. I know one day I'm going to stand before my God and give an account. Paul said, I I know the terror of the Lord. I know what awaits the possibilities if I fail to persuade men, if I fail to share the gospel. Folks, we're blessed with what we know. We're blessed that we know our God. We're blessed that we know that we've been spared from the judgment to come, that God has saved us. But what are we doing with it? Are we obeying God? Are we doing what God wants us to do? Or are we like Jonah many times and we flee the other way, we run the other way, and maybe we don't even have a great attitude about God working in other people's lives that we might have an issue with, or like I, as I said earlier, their sin is different than ours. God desires all sinners to be saved. May we know this God better. May we strive to know him better, but may we be actively involved in, in helping others know what we know.